Welcome to the Followers of the Way podcast for November 10th, 2019. In today's message titled, Come and See, from our In Order to Believe series in the book of John, we take a look as the Apostle John continues his shift from an explicit doctrinal prose to a narrative prose as he begins to introduce Jesus's ministry. Being that the purpose of him writing this masterpiece was for us to believe, John the Apostle gives us four specific people groups to share this good news with, along with two simple messages. In the end, the responsibility for salvation falls on the God-man Savior. Our responsibility is simply to bring them to Christ. So grab your Bibles and follow along with us as we explore God's Word here on Followers of the Way. Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you, love, for your goodness, mercy, Lord, and for your grace. We thank you the opportunity to come before you in prayer today. We thank you for your love for us, God. God, we thank you for what you're about to show us through your word. We pray, God, we thank you, God, for the time we had to look at the missionaries today. We pray, God, that you will be with each and every one of them as they're out on the front lines for you, spreading your kingdom, God, not just here in America, but around the planet, God. So, God, you see them. You know their special needs. We pray, God, that you would um, supply special needs that they have. It's one of those details that we talked about earlier, God. Pray, God, that you allow us as a body to continue to help support them, and even if there's others, God. And God, I just pray that we're doing what we're supposed to do for you, that you would guide us, and you would continue to give us wisdom so that we are on point with everything that you would have us as your body to do. We love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. John chapter 1, verse 29. We're talking about the gospel. We're talking about the good news of Jesus Christ. We're talking about the reason why John told us he wrote this book. He wrote this so that you might believe. And so when we look at the book of John, it's telling us what we need to know to believe in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I wanted to look at this passage to encourage us as a church to spread the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to those we come in contact with. I think that's one of the areas that we definitely can work on becoming stronger in spreading the news, the good news to other people, being evangelical for the body of Christ. We looked at John, and last week when we preached, when we were looking at this a couple of weeks ago, we looked at John, and we kind of went to the book of Matthew, and we talked about John the Baptist, and the character of John the Baptist, and what he was doing, and who he was. We looked at how he was there to prepare the way for Christ, to make straight the way for the Lord. And so Christ was coming, the person they were waiting for is finally coming. And John the Baptist's responsibility was to prepare the way. And so we looked at what John did. We looked at the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Jews came and tried to challenge him. What what are you here for? You know, what's going on? How now John rebuked them with the word of God. John reminded them that remember the Messiah is coming and he's coming and we looked at it. He's coming with an axe. He's coming with fire and he's coming with a shovel. And we talked about what that meant is that he's coming to look at your works and how you're living your life and to make sure that it lines up with what God wants. That's what the Messiah came. And so John the Baptist's message was repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And so it wasn't a soft message. It wasn't a, hey, everybody, God loves you. And, you know, because he's got a plan for you, he's going to come and it's going to be such a fun time. That was not the message. The Messiah was on his way, and John the Baptist went out to the people and said, hey, people, you need to look at your life and measure how you are living against how God says you should live. And if that does not match, 
You need to get yourself right today. That was the message of the gospel saying that Christ was coming. And he talked about how that when Christ came, he was going to uh, baptize him with the Holy Spirit. John said, I'm baptizing with water. And we talked about this a couple weeks ago. John said, I'm baptizing with water, which actually shows or renews you. He said, but the one who's coming is going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So not just to set you apart, but to also give you that power that you need to live life how it's supposed to be lived. And so that was John the Baptist. So we get to back to John chapter one. Look at with me in verse 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. King James says, behold, the Lamb of God. That word behold means look. So imagine a crowd. Imagine John baptizing. He's at the water. He's baptizing a bunch of people. These people are saying, you know what? You're right, John. I'm living a life that's not pleasing with God. I'm making some decisions that God is not happy with. I haven't made a conscious decision to put away my own desire and follow Christ's desire. So I need to do that. I would like to repent. John said, great. As you repent, come, let me dip you in this water. Because what this water does is it shows the world that you have made a decision that I am no longer going to live life following my own way. I'm going to live life following God's way. And so John was baptizing people, baptizing people. So it was always crowds around in the midst of this picture this. And then John says, hey, look. Check this out. Everybody look over here. And he points and he says, here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Verse 30. This is the one I told you about. After me comes a man who ranks ahead of me because he existed before me. I didn't know him, but I came baptized with water so that he might be revealed to Israel. And John testified, I saw the spirit descending from heaven like a dove and he rested on him. I didn't know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water told me. The one you see the spirit descending and resting on, he is the one who baptized with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I've testified that this is the son of God. And so what John said, look, the Lamb of God which takes away the sins of the world. Now, what's interesting, John, remember, this, so there's two Johns. There's John the Baptist, who's a character in this story. I don't like to say story because story gives us the hint that this is made up. This is actual facts. So he's a person in the history. We'll go with that. So we got John the Baptist, and then we got John the Apostle, okay? So he's the disciple of Jesus. He's the one who wrote the book. So this John wrote the book, and this John was the one going around baptizing, okay? So we got two different Johns. When John says, behold the Lamb of God, which comes to take away the sins of the world. John, the Apostle, who's writing the book, remember the purpose is to tell us in order to believe. And so John, who's writing the book, he's saying, listen, in order to believe and also in order to tell people about Christ, there's a certain list you should do. First, you should tell about Christ to everyone around you. We should talk about Christ to everyone around you. John's looked out. John the Baptist looked out and he said, look, who is he talking to? Everybody that was around him, wherever he was. And so in order to share Christ, one of the things that we see in John is we should be willing to share Christ to everyone around you. And it's simply just a look. All John did, all John the Baptist did was point people to where Christ was. Notice he didn't get into a theological debate. He didn't get into the ins and outs of Catholicism or the ins and out of what was going on in Rome. He simply said, look, everybody around me. 
Everybody who's gathered around me, all these people who are comfortable being around me, all these people who are around me because you work with me, all these people around me because we go to the same school, all these people around me because we're in the same co-op, all the people around me because we get the field today, all the people around me because we are, look. And he pointed those to Christ. Now, he pointed them in, a, in a, something that they w- could reference to. He said the Lamb of God. Now, remember, he actually said the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So he's talking to the Jews. This is something that they can relate to. They know exactly what he's talking about. Now, picture this. This always intrigues me. During the time of Jesus, people will still going to the temple with their lambs and sacrificing animals. It still blows my mind that while Jesus was here on earth, people were still sacrificing animals. But just like in Moses' day, just like in David's day, that was still going on. And the people every year, the Garcia family who lived in Jerusalem, Papa Garcia, who would go to the field and he grabbed a lamb, a lamb that was unblemished, it had no black spots, a perfect white lamb, and then Papa Garcia would go get Mama Garcia and say, gather the children, honey. We shall go to the temple and sacrifice for the Garcia family. And so the family would gather together and they would go to the temple and Papa Garcia would take the lamb and a knife and he would slit the throat of the lamb and the blood would run out and he would sacrifice the lamb for the sins of the Garcia family. So the Garcia's family for the past year has just been sending up a storm. Just been just wild and crazy. Papa Garcia comes at the end of the year, takes the lamb, cuts the lamb's throat, kills the lamb, and the lamb, the blood of the lamb, was to cover the sins of the Garcia family for that year. Then the new year would start, and the Garcia family would be willy-nilly, wild and crazy. And at the end of that year, Papa Garcia would go to the field. He'd grab a lamb. And this went year after year after year after year. So the people of Israel knew that the blood of the lamb covered their sins. What John said, he looked at him, he said, everybody look, behold the lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world. And so what you have is three things. First, you got the lamb of God. So this wasn't Paul Garcia's lamb. This was a lamb that came straight from God. So this was a lamb like no other lamb. This was a lamb that God had set apart, which takes away. Now, remember, the sacrifices, when they shed the blood of the lamb, they all knew that that blood only covered the sins, meaning the sins were still there. The, lamb, the blood of the lamb just covered it. And it did some more sins, and the blood covered it. And they did some more sins, and the blood covered it. What happened was all the sins were still there. When they sacrificed, all they did were covers. But John said, John the Baptist says, oh, the Lamb of God, so we got a special lamb, coming from the guy who set this thing up, God himself, which takes away. Wait a minute. This is a whole new thing. We're just not talking about covering up sin year after year after year. You're telling me that this lamb is going to take away sins? Take away the sins of the world. See, before, the Garcia family, Papa Garcia had to do one, Papa Nicole, Papa Padilla, Papa Bolden. Everyone had to do one for their own family, and that lamb only covered the sins of that family. John the Baptist came and says, listen, guys, we had a whole new thing now. Behold, look, the lamb of God, 
which takes away the sins of the world. I like that word sin. We've talked about this before. But when you look at the Bible, there's a couple of words for sin. This word here, sin, means there's a target and there's somebody trying to hit the target. Sin means you miss the target every single time. What the word there, sin, means missing the target. The target here is the righteousness of God. The righteousness of God. See, God has a standard, and we talked about that. When I write in the corner, I put God, we put creation. We put God said after creation that it was good. And the Bible says that it was in order. So God had an order. God had a standard. Man came along and said, forget your order. Forget your standard. I'm going to go along my way. That standard that God had back in the Garden of Eden, that standard was his righteousness. The righteousness of God. The righteousness of God is the only thing that God accepts. So when you want to come to God, the reason why we can't come to God, because when we come to God, we're not coming with his righteousness. Okay? You can do all the good stuff. You can feed the poor. You can be Mother Teresa. You can be Gandhi. You can, you can even attempt to live a sinless life. And if you are able to do that, guess what? You would still not meet the standard because the standard is the righteousness of God. That's why Paul said in Romans chapter 3, now the righteousness of God has appeared. See, the only standard that God accepts is righteousness. So you can pray 8,000 prayers. You can cry 9,000 cries. You can pass out 84,000 times, pass out. None of those things bring you closer to God because the problem is there's a standard and the standard is God's righteousness. And every time we try to meet that standard, we miss the mark. And that's what sin is. That word for sin there means miss the mark. And so what John the Baptist is saying, behold, look, everybody that's around me. Look, the Lamb of God, which takes away the missing of the mark for the entire system the world, the system, what we're in. We're talking about telling people about Christ. What do we tell them? We are to tell them that, hey, you're missing the mark. But listen, I try to live good. I, you know, I, I pay my taxes. I help old ladies cross the street. You know, I don't lie all the time. I follow the golden rule, treat people the way you want to be treated. I do that. That's how I live my life. I'm a pretty good guy. I'm a decent guy. That's cool. But God's standard is not a pretty decent guy. God's standard isn't I don't get in the fights. God's standard isn't I don't lie. God's standard isn't, well, I never stole nothing from nobody. God's standard is none of those things. God's standard is the, his righteousness. And so we, the body of Christ, our responsibility is to tell the world, those around us, hey, guys, listen, I know we're having fun at this ball game. I know we're having fun here doing whatever it is. But listen, I want you to understand that God has a standard. His standard is his righteousness. And no matter how good you try to be or no matter what you do, we're going to continue. I continue to miss that standard. And so I had to make a decision in my life. Say, oh, no, God, I'm no longer going to continue to try because there's no way I can meet that standard of righteousness. And so I'm going to go to the God, to the Lamb, the righteousness giver, 
and receive the righteousness from God. That's what becoming a Christian is. It's not living better. It's not doing this, doing that. It's not saying some magic prayer. It's not following the ABCs. None of that. That's all cute and it's good. And it's a path toward. But salvation is when I have given up my right to do what I want to do. Turn away from my rebellion from God and say, God, give me your righteousness. And now my life is living, heading toward this righteous standard because now I have the Holy Spirit, which empowers me to do so. We ought to tell the gospel message to everyone we see. I want to focus a little bit on the son of God. Verse 434. I have seen and testified that this is the son of God. A lot of people are confused with that and say, wait a minute, I thought he was God. John spent the John, the guy who wrote this, spent verse one, verse two, verse three, verse four, verse five, talking about that Jesus was actually God. Now we get down to verse 34 and he said he's the son of God. I'm confused. Is he God or is he the son of God? And the Jehovah's Witness would like to look at this verse and say, see, y'all Christians talking about Jesus is God. That's ridiculous. Jesus is the son of God. He's God's son. Just like Jaden is my son, Jesus is God's son. That means God is more powerful. God's the daddy. Jesus is the little son. Now, I want to look at the scriptures to show you that that's not what the scriptures mean. Remember, the Bible is a Eastern Oriental book. So that means it's not a Western book. Western is where we are. We're called the West, the United States. And so when we, we have Western phrases, hey, man, that's cool. Hey, man, that's a bad hat you got on. I'm feeling fly today. Those are Western terminologies. Now, those Western terminologies from the 80s and 70s, but they're still Western terminologies, okay? If I went over to the Eastern Orient and said, hey, man, that's a bad hat you got on, I might get shot because they don't talk like that. Now, so we have to understand when we look at the Bible, it's an Eastern Oriental book. That means this Bible was written in a culture different from us to a people that's different from us. And so when we see the Son of God, I see the Son. I'm from the Western culture, Western civilization. I know Son means literal Son. LOS is Miami's Son. That's what it means when I see Son. Now, the Bible, because it's an Eastern Oriental book, that does not mean what that means. To show you that, keep your finger in John chapter 1 and flip back with me to Luke. Luke chapter 22, verse 66. This is uh, the end of the Gospel of Luke. And so Jesus is on trial. They're about to kill Jesus. So he's on trial. So in Luke chapter 22, verse 66, I'll read it. So Jesus is in front of the Sanhedrin. These are the legal system of that day. Verse 66, when daylight came, the elders of the people, both the chief priests and the scribes, convened and brought him before their Sanhedrin. And they said, if you are the Messiah, tell us. But Jesus says to them, if I do tell you, you won't believe. If I ask you, you won't answer. But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the power of God. So they all ask, well then, are you then the Son of God? There's a phrase, Son of God. Are you then the Son of God? And he said to them, yeah, I am. Words there say, you say that I am. That means, that's word. Well, you said it. And look what happened in verse 71. They asked him the son of God. He said, yes. 71 says, why do we need any more testimony? They said, we have heard it ourselves from his mouth. He just said he was the son of God. Oh, my goodness. OK, we can stop this trial because we can just kill him now because that's blasphemy. Because claiming to be the son of God, meaning that you were God. See, in the Eastern Orient culture, son of 
was a title that meant of the same essence, of the same stuff. And so to say that you are of the same essence of God, to say you are of the same stuff as God, is to say that you are God. Jaden is Olu's son. We have the same essence. I have the essence of manhood. He has the essence of manhood. I have the essence of humanity. He has the essence of humanity. And so in the Eastern Orient, we would say, oh, he's the son of Olu. We're made of the same stuff. To say someone's the son of God is to say they are the same stuff that God is. Look with me real quick in Matthew chapter 26. You got to understand what John the Baptist is saying here. Matthew 26, verse 62. John the Baptist is introducing them to Christ by saying, look, we as the body of Christ have the responsibility to introduce the people that are around us, the people we come in contact with, with Jesus Christ. What are we supposed to tell them? We're supposed to tell them, look, the Lamb of God, he's here to take away the fact that you keep missing the mark for all of us. Oh, and by the way, he's God. That's it. Notice how the Bible never tells us to save people. Notice how the Bible never tells us to bring them to Jesus in such a way that they give their life to Christ. The Bible just says, tell them. And let God do the rest. In Matthew verse, chapter 26, verse 62, the high priest, this is still the same thing, same scenario. The high priest stood and said to him, do you have an answer to what these men are testifying against you? But Jesus kept silent. The high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you're the Messiah. I don't know why the high priest has an English accent. Tell us if you're the Messiah, the son of God. And in 64, Jesus again said, you said it, Holmes. But I tell you, in the future, you will see the son of man sitting at the right hand of the power coming on the clouds of heaven. So I asked him, were you the son of God? He said, you said it. You best believe it. I am the son of God. And 65 said, then the high priest tore his robes and said, he has blasphemed. Why do we still need witnesses? See, now you've heard the blasphemy. What is your decision? They answered, he deserves death. Back to John chapter 1. When John the Baptist pointed in that crowd and says, look, behold, the Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world, and he said, this is the Son of God, John the Baptist was letting the people around him know that Jesus, the Christ, was God. That is our responsibility, to tell everyone around us that Jesus, who is God, has come to take away the sins of the world. And we can get into the fact that we've missed the mark, the righteousness of God. I, I love this example, this illustration here, because sometimes, I'll be honest with you, I'm feeling myself sometimes. And I'll do something really good. You know, I'll, I'll tell somebody about Christ and be like, yeah, <laughs> I let the lion out the cage. I did it. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. I talk about it and I bees about it. And sometimes I start feeling myself and God quickly reminds me that I've, I'm still missing the mark. The righteousness of God is where I need to be heading toward by sanctification, by living a holy life. And I shouldn't be complacent with where I am, nor should I be complacent with what others around me are. Well, he's a nice guy. You know, I don't hear him cussing all the time. I don't see him sneaking out on his wife. So he's good. No, he's on his way to hell because he's missed the mark. Because the mark, the standard is not how you're faithfulness to your wife. The standard is not, I'm nice to my mom. The standard is not, I'm out here, I'm not doing any drugs. I don't drink, get drunk off of alcohol. That's not the standard. 
the standard is the righteousness of God. And so we have to let the world know because the world is confused. The world thinks if I go to church and listen to some good songs and get my goosebumps rising and feeling all good and warm inside, that I had an experience with God. Guess what? That'll send you straight to hell. Because it's not about an experience with God. It's not about hearing some good music. It's not about, oh, I felt something and I fell on the ground. Nothing. It's about, hey, do you meet the standard? And we've got to tell the world that. We've got to tell the world that. Let's keep reading. Verse 35. The next day, John was standing with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus, so this is the next day. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said again, look, the Lamb of God. Verse 37, and the two disciples heard him say this and followed Jesus. When Jesus turned around and noticed them following him, he said to them, so this is the first time in the book of John that we hear from Jesus. By the way, just put a little pin here. These are the first words that John records that Jesus said. What are you looking for? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And Jesus says, come and see. And so they went and they saw where he was standing and they stayed with him that day. It was about four in the afternoon. The next thing that I want to point out is we are to tell people about Jesus to everyone around us. The second in verse 35, John the Baptist was talking and standing with two of his disciples. So John had disciples. John, who are disciples? Disciples are people who are close to him. They was his boys. Those who people would say, look, we're going to hang with you. We're going to follow you. We're going to learn from you. So not only do we tell everyone, the second group of people that the book of John is telling us that we need to understand or let them know about Jesus Christ is to those who are intimately close to us. So think about that for a minute. Who are those people that are close to you? Who's people that's your boy? Who's those people that know stuff about you that everybody don't know about? Who's those people that... In a given month, you see them about four, five, six, seven times. Who are those people that you're going to see at least once a week? Who are those people that are close to you? Who are in your inner circle? Then the question is, are those people that are close to you, are those people who are in your circle? Now, I'm not just talking about family right now. We're talking about not outside of family. Those people that are close to you, those people that you see all the time, those people in your inner circle, have you pointed them to Christ? John the Baptist saw Jesus the next day. He was with those who were in his inner circle, his boys, the people that was close to him, the people that was, you know, they, 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 they shoot the breeze, you know, they cut, chewed the fat. I'm using a lot of old slang. I don't know why. I don't know why I'm turning 60 years old today. I don't know why. That's a, it's a phrase. It's a legitimate phrase. But John the Baptist said those people that was close to them, he pointed them to Christ. He told them, look. Behold, the Lamb of God. Again, he told them the exact same thing. And notice what happened. He pointed them to Christ, and Christ did the rest. That's what we need to understand. Our responsibility is simply point them to Christ. Bring up the name of Jesus Christ with those who are in our inner circle. So those people who are close to us, bring them to Jesus. Point them in the direction of Jesus, and notice how Jesus did the rest. John said, Behold, Jesus, and then Jesus looked at them and said, oh, I see these people looking at me. What's going on? What y'all looking for? What's going on? And he said, well, where do you live? Now, in the Eastern Orient, that question is kind of like them wanting to know more about you. You know, where do you, where do you live? Like, what are you, what you about? What's going on? We want to learn from you. And so Jesus said, oh, come on, let me show you. 
Our responsibility is simply to point them to Christ, and Christ will do the rest. So we got to everyone around you. Look. We got to those who are in a circle. Look. Then we come to verse 40. Andrew, Simon, Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard John and followed him. Talking about Jesus. He first found his own brother, Simon, and told him, we have found the Messiah, which is translated to Christ. And he brought Simon to Jesus. When Jesus saw them, he said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. Look at that, folks. John the Baptist, people in his inner circle, was Andrew. Andrew was pointed to Jesus. Andrew went with Jesus. He was the one who said, hey, Rabbi, teacher, where do you live? Jesus said, follow me. So he followed Jesus. Once Andrew starts following Jesus, Andrew, the first thing he did, look at it again. I love this. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard John and followed him. Look at verse 41. He first, the first thing he did was he found his own brother. Our responsibility is not just to everyone around us. Our responsibility, not just to those who are close to us, but we have responsibility to point our family to Christ. Andrew went straight to his brother. Perhaps the first thing he did went to his brother. And so I asked, I look at my family. Now, I've got some family. All right, I got some family. And they, they span the spectrum of whatever spectrum you want to talk about. <laughs> they, they span it. And the question is, as a follower of Christ, have I done my responsibility as John writes to tell everyone around me, point them to Christ. Those who are close to us, point us to Christ and to our family members. Not just my immediate family. I can check that box. I've taught the kids about Christ. All our kids have saved. All our kids have gotten baptized. We're pointing our kids to live a life holy and righteous and accepted unto God. But I'm talking about outside my family. I'm talking about my cousins, my uncles and aunts. Yeah, those family. The question is, what Andrew did, he went to his family because my responsibility is to let my family know, not to save my family, but to point my family to Christ. The Bible says Andrew went and found his brother first and said, listen, we found a standard. We don't have to keep sacrificing these animals anymore. We don't have to keep trying to shoot these arrows and keep missing because we found them. Come and see. And he came and he brought his brother to Christ. And again, Jesus did it. When Jesus saw him, he said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas. All Andrew do was bring his brother to Christ and Christ took him and transformed him. That's it. We're not supposed to try to transform. Well, you know, I got to get my children, my family right first. They did. No, no, no. Bring them to Christ and allow Christ to transform. And last but not least, verse 45. The next day, verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. He found Philip and told him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the hometown of Andrew and Peter. And Philip watched this, found Nathanael, and he told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law. And so did the prophets. Jesus, the son of Joseph of Nazareth. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nathaniel said. Philip said this, and this is the title of the message. Come and see. Philip went to his boy. Philip went to his friend. He went to his friend and said, come and see. 47, then Jesus saw Nathaniel coming toward him and he said, notice how in each one of these examples, 
the person is bringing them to Jesus and then Jesus is doing the rest. I don't think this is circumstantial. I think this is John, because he wrote this in order for us to believe, is saying, look, just pour them to Christ. That's all you got to do. Come and see. Come, come, look, look. And Jesus is going to do the rest. When Jesus saw 47, Nathanael coming toward him and said about him, he truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me, Nathanael asked? Before Philip called you, when you were still under the fig tree, I saw you, Jesus answered. Jesus is showing off here. Jesus is showing that he's God. If you look at the book of John, every once in a while, Jesus is going to show off. You're going to see him walking. You're going to see him talking and see him eating to let you know he's a man. But he's going to show off every once in a while to let you know, oh, by the way, I'm also God. I saw you, Nathaniel, while you were sitting under the fig tree. Nathaniel's like, whoa, I wasn't in the fig tree. How does this dude know that? This dude must be something special. Rabbi, verse 49, Nathaniel replied, you are the son of God. You are God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus responded to him, verse 50, do you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than this. Hallelujah. Then he said, truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. In conclusion, the message is simple. I want us to understand the simplicity of the message. Look, check this out. Come and see. That's it. And notice in each one of those examples, it was something relatable. Andrew told Peter, his brother, hey, remember the guy we've been reading about? Because he had been reading about him. We found him. John said, hey, everybody know about the Lamb of God, right? Because we all here, we all sacrifice lambs. Oh, by the way, this is the Lamb of God, who's not only going to cover your sins, but take away the sins of not only just the Garcia family and the Bolden family, but of the world. The message is simple. Look, come and see. The action is simple. The Bible says they brought him. Andrew found his brother Peter, and he brought him to Jesus. That means to me, just bring Jesus into the conversation. It might be the most awkward. Hey, man, what do you think about the Cowboys? You know Jesus loves you? What? What are you talking about? I'm talking about the Cowboys. Yeah, but I just said Jesus, so now we're talking about it. Jesus loves you. How do you feel about Jesus? Just like that. I mean, it could be that awkward, or you could have a smooth little algorithm to bring it in. Or it could be just like that. Just bring them into the conversation. We have no problem jumping in the conversation. People talking about sports or, or our spouses or kids or parents or, or YouTube. My kids, for some reason, they watch these YouTube families. It blows my mind as to why they're wasting their time. And they know the name, the Chocolampos families, whatever. But they watch these things and they get around their friends and their friends watch them too. It's like ridiculous. And so they can relate and they're talking about these things. And I'm like, just as you're in a conversation and you bring about the stuff you watch or the TV shows you like or the movies you like or the Marvel movies or the fact that Disney Plus is coming out Tuesday and Mandalorian is coming out and you got to get ready to watch it. Just these are things people can relate to. Just as easy that was, bring Jesus into the conversation and let him do the rest like he did in each one of these examples. So the simplicity of the message, look, come and see. The simplicity of the action, bring them to Jesus. The result of the message will be the same. They followed Jesus. My responsibility as pastor is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. I have failed in this position if I have not given you the hammer and the nails and the saws and the tools and the backpack and all the things you need to go into Babylon and do the work of the ministry. That's why we're looking at John. Because I really want us to be a church who goes into the streets, who goes to everyone we know, who goes to those close to us, who goes to our family and goes, the last one was to our friends. When Philip brought Nathaniel, the last one was to the friends. Go to our friends and point them to Christ admonish you, let's be a body of Christ who does that. 
And I promise you, the result will be incredible. The Bible says that Jesus took 12 people, and those 12 people went into the world, and they turned the world upside down. We can do the exact same thing for Christ in our small group. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, how you've given us an example of the message and how simple it is, an example of the action and how simple it is, and you've given an example of the result. That these people followed you because someone said, look, and someone said, come and see. I pray, God, that every opportunity that we have this week, that we will, each one of us will say either look, point somebody to Jesus, or say come and see and bring someone to Jesus. That way, God, we will be obedient to you and to our mission here on this earth for your kingdom. We love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Followers of the Way podcast. If you'd like more information about Followers of the Way Church, visit our Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash F-O-T-W church. Again, that's www.facebook.com forward slash F-O-T-W church. We trust and hope that you've enjoyed hearing God's word and how to apply it to our lives. Our podcast is updated weekly. So remember to follow us here at Followers of the Way.